Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Trust and Believe. I'm your host, Shanti, and I am completely thrilled. I'm going to show you why. On my arm, I have the tattoo, Conquer Your Mind, Transform Your Life. And today, we are going to enhance your ability to trust and believe, to be mentally strong. We're going to talk about anxiety. We might get into a little bit about my personal struggle with anxiety and hypochondria and how I Google everything even I've gotten a little better. But our guest today, which I'm so excited about, Dr. Chloe Carmichael. I love when I have a doctor on. Dr. Chloe Carmichael is a licensed clinical psychologist and USA Today best-selling author of Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. Dr. Chloe Carmichael has been a certified yoga instructor since 2001. She has also completed coursework in Buddhism and meditation with Robert Tenzin Thurman. Dr. Thurman is an Oxford scholar and was the first American to be ordained a Tibetan monk by the Dalai Lama. How freaking cool is that? I love it. She is an advisory board member for Women's Health Magazine, Hearst, and a featured expert for Psychology Today. She has been featured as an expert on VH1, Inside Edition, ABC Nightline, and other television, and has been quoted in the New York Times, Forbes, Vanity Fair, and other print media. So what we need to say is get ready to trust and believe because we have someone amazing on the show and i know you're going to get a lot out of this i like to say before i really get dr chloe carmichael to jump in here this is the kind of episode where you absolutely must share it with your friends and family even if you don't know if they are struggling with some sort of mental health even if you know people out there who need that motivation to get through their journey and they have these barriers in a way i know this is going to be a great one for you. So get ready to trust and believe. Somebody say oh, yeah. no, no, no. What's up? This is Sean T, and it's time to trust and believe. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello, Dr. Chloe Carmichael. Hey, Sean. It's so good to be with you. It's so good to be with you, too. So I stopped talking. I just kind of want to start off with a question. I mean, you have so many accolades and obviously an incredible amount of education. 
I like to know what was the thing that got you to go down a path of really helping people <laughs> above the neck is what I call it, that mental fitness energy. Yeah, so interesting question. There's kind of a couple of ways of answering that. So the professional answer is that I was a yoga teacher, and so I was teaching individual yoga lessons, and I got really interested in doing uh, the mind part as well as the you know physical part of yoga. And so I was really interested in that body-mind connection, wanted to know more about the mind part since I already had the yoga instructor part. And so that's what prompted me to get a PhD in clinical psychology. Now the trust and believe part, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the part where like we really look, I think what I love about your show is connecting with the idea that that we all have goals that come from somewhere really, really deep inside. And although, as you said, you know, I have these accolades and clinical psychologist and PhD, guess what? I was actually a high school dropout. Mm. <laughs> and so I actually came from a very difficult time in my teen years. And it was through seeing a therapist that I got my own head together a little bit. And it was through yoga that I calmed myself down and centered myself a lot. And so for me then, really just wanting to go a lot deeper into that space of psychology and therapy because it had been so helpful to me, it was just a natural part of the journey. What was that thing? You know, I love how you mentioned openly that you are a high school dropout, and I feel like there are a lot of people out there who can relate, or maybe they keep it a secret. 99.999% of the time, it stems from something that is or was happening, you know, in your childhood. So what was that thing, or what was the catalyst for you to say, this is not the time <laughs> for me to finish school? Yeah. So it was an interesting situation because I come from a very academic family, and so I had always done pretty well in school. When I was like, you know, maybe 15. So we're going back decades and decades now. Um, but at, at one point, I guess I just I had a very rebellious streak. And in retrospect, as a clinical psychologist, I can actually say it was a somewhat normal, um, almost embarrassingly typical, like, you know, form of, you know, rebellion. I think my parents just didn't quite know how to handle that. And so it led to a lot of conflict in our family. Um, you know, no disrespect to my parents. I mean, I, they were parenting for the first time as well. And so they, they were doing the best that they could. Um, but there was just a lot of conflict. And so I ended up moving out of their house uh, at the age of 15, which was very unusual in my, you know, kind of family structure for that to happen. And I think I had a lot of anger and confusion at that time and maybe just thought I could do everything myself and I didn't need school. And honestly, in retrospect, I think it was the best thing because I wasn't ready to learn. When I mm. finally did finish, I went to Columbia University and graduated with a 4.0, but that was when I was 29. <laughs> yeah, and and I, okay. you know, I did that when I was ready. So we have something else in common. I moved out of my house when I was 14 years old because of sexual abuse, sexual trauma. And just for me, it wasn't, I guess in a sense, it was rebellion too, because I, I was like, I can't be in this space. And I just kind of wanted to connect it to because there are people out there 
who may have children right now that are going through that. I know a lot of people, if they hear someone's a high school dropout, it just becomes this thing of, oh, like, it's looked down upon when, like you said, a lot of times it is the best thing. Like, for me, it was the best thing to move out of my house, also for you. And because, you know, we all have this different journey. And I love that as a clinical psychologist and someone who has obviously, again, all these accolades, it's proven that sometimes your journey, while it may have been tough, is so unique to you. So I want to empower people out there that if you have similar stories to us, you know, obviously continue listening, but it's like an acceptance of that so that you can also move forward and take that one step further. I think all of us who actually went to university, we had psych as a gen ed course, you know, and psych is so broad, but we think of it as like, oh, we think of psychologists, we think of like sitting on a couch and talking to a therapist, which I do and I love. But before we continue and get down into like the anxiety and the hypochondria, which is what I want to talk about a lot, can you give people just like an overall view of psychology so that it doesn't seem as scary because what I want to do here today is really eliminate the barrier between struggle and getting help. Yeah. So what's really interesting, just to start with that last part of what you said, eliminate the barrier between struggle and getting help. The healthy function of awareness of struggle is actually to stimulate help-seeking behaviors, right? So if somebody's listening and they feel like they're struggling, that is actually a healthy signal if you're aware of it that it's guiding you to get help because believe it or not, some people are struggling and they're not aware of it. You know, they're, they, they kind of blame everybody else and everything else. So if somebody is aware that they're struggling, um, it's, it's good that they have that awareness. Now, the bridge, as you said, is psychology. A lot of times to getting help is, you know, talking to somebody. It worked for me. Uh, it worked for you and uh, it could work for people. So the overview, like you said, is an interesting thing. So we look at the word psychology. It comes from the Greek root psyche. The Greek root means spirit, believe it or not, spirit. So that's why for me, as a former yoga teacher, obviously I was really into the body-mind awareness and I'm a Christian and so my faith is important to me. All those things mattered to me and I knew it. But then learning about psychology coming from that place of knowing that it's about feeling good from a general wellness, whether you look at it as your spirit or, you know, your your unconscious or just your sense of well-being. And that can look at a lot of factors that can look at your cognition. It can look at mm. how you're thinking, how well you're thinking, if your body has the food and sleep and everything else it needs to, you know, do its thinking. <laughs> it can also be looking at, you know, your coping skills. If you have the the skills and the tools to navigate what life is bringing up for you, or, you know, if you just grew up in a house where if things were wrong, you just raise your fists or you just run away or you just shout. Sometimes learning new ways of dealing with things can be a big part of psychology too. Spirit and spiritual is such an easy word that people use very often. And most times when they use it, it's either to have a faith to believe in something or it's just a way to really balance you out. And so if you are out there struggling, instead of looking at it as psychology, look at it as like, how do I boost my spirit? Because I think that when you look at it that way, even the most troubled person, and I do know that, you know, depression and all of this, a lot of this is, is a sickness. 
it also just kind of gives you a little extra hope when you don't put that again, that barrier in a way of like, oh my gosh, psychology, I'm, there's something wrong with me. And I think the next thing I want to talk about before I get really specific is I want to create like a parallel universe to somebody who's really kind of struggling, but with the person who's not responding to the struggle as much. And I know this might be a really hard question to ask, but I kind of want, and from a clinical way and an educational way is help people understand, like, even though like this person's over here struggling and they might be really going through anxiety or depression or something, even though someone over here may feel like, may look like they had this great life, they still navigate it the same way. But like, how can you say that to people to help them like bridge the normalcy of it all? People of all kinds <laughs> have all kinds of emotions and all kinds of struggles. And even though we might not necessarily see it or know it, sometimes people can be having a big struggle. And one thing I do also want people to know about that is there's actually healthy levels of anxiety, for example. So the healthy awareness of struggle is, you know, to stimulate help-seeking behaviors. The healthy function of anxiety is to stimulate preparation behaviors. So a person with, say, zero anxiety wouldn't think to look both ways before they cross the street, right? So a lot of times what (laughs) I'll see is people that have anxiety about anxiety. They're like, oh, my goodness, I'm anxious. Oh, my gosh, I wonder if I have anxiety. I saw in the news that anxiety is on the rise. Oh, my goodness, I wonder if I have a sickness of anxiety. Whereas the truth is that there are normal, healthy levels of anxiety that we're supposed to have. And so, yes, a lot of very successful people do have anxiety and there is nothing at all wrong with that. The The trick is to make sure that you're using it constructively the way Mother Nature intended. We can talk about that, but to your, you know, kind of original question, I think, is looking at the fact that we all have issues and that's the way we're designed to a certain level. Let's take my husband and I, for instance, you know, he, we kind of get into not as much anymore, but we do get into discussions of me kind of prying or needing or having to pry into what is actually going on in his psyche and him admitting that there's a level of stress, but he bottles it in where the minute I'm stressed, like you see it on my face, you hear it in my voice, I might cry, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're both going through this level of stress and we're like on these two opposite ends of the spectrum. So I think it's just even in I have a really healthy functioning relationship, but even in those moments, it's like, oh, wait, like he's just dealing with it a different way. And then we kind of have to like find that neutral zone of, oh, well, we're both, we both have anxiety about this. So we're both struggling about this. And it's just a way to communicate with yourself to bring it to a level of understanding if someone else is on the other side, if that makes sense. Oh, of course. And what's interesting, what you're saying there too, Sean, is um, in psychology, we have something called group polarization. Uh, So when you have a a group and even two people in psychology is considered a group, if you have a group and one person will, you know, express anxiety about anything and everything. And, you know, do we have enough chips in the house? You know, do we have enough gas in the car? Like everything. And they're, they're like almost over the top with it. Um, And then say the other person, even just to start with, is a little bit more laid back. Once he lives with that other person who's more high, you know, conscious about everything, 
he'll actually become even more laid back because he'll start to realize, I don't have to worry about running out of anything. This guy here is like almost too on top of it. And so my quest for well-being in this house is going to be about learning to keep the temperature down, right? And so two people can actually even balance each other out that way sometimes. Oh my goodness, you just freed my entire psyche, <laughs> literally. <laughs> and I cannot wait to talk to Scott after this because I just realized that we both have both of those different anxieties. Like emotionally, I'm up here and loud and he's emotionally quiet. But your example <laughs> was amazing because like when I first got with Scott, because I was struggling with sexual trauma and I didn't know how to accept love from a man of my age because I was molested by my stepfather. You know, it was like this crazy tumultuous thing in my own brain. And, you know, I was here and now it's so funny to see, he was like super quiet. He didn't talk about the fact that he was gay. He was afraid to come out where I was like, I don't care. Like it's who I am. And you see us like on this scale of like, Oh wow. Like this is actually we're super, super, way more balanced now. But in addition to that, I think that just kind of moving into more of like psychology-based stuff, I think that's the same thing that happens when you actually seek out therapy and you experience it. It's like a way to streamline kind of what I just described in our relationship, which is like, oh, wait, like being able to talk about or experience and a lot of times hearing yourself speak balances that out. Oh my goodness, yes. Hearing yourself speak in therapy is like, to me, it's like a form of mindfulness because with mindfulness, the goal is to just watch and observe your thoughts. And that's kind of hard to do, just silently watching and monitoring your own thoughts. But when you're saying them aloud and another person's listening, then it's easier. And as you said, you can hear yourself say things and observe them. To me, as a psychologist, I always want to remind people that what's important is is to remember to appreciate it, to remember, like suppose that you're, you know, I don't know your situation exactly, but suppose you have a couple where one person is like very affectionate and expressive and then the other person is like a little bit more cold and reserved. And when they're around that affectionate, expressive person, at first it's so exciting and they're like, wow, I'm not this way and I, it's just so wonderful, it's refreshing. And then once they get used to it, they can start almost trying to shut that down in the other person. Because of another psychology concept called enmeshment, where you start thinking of your partner as an extension of yourself. And so then if they're doing things you wouldn't do, you're like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> Whereas the truth is, you have to remember that they brought something that you needed. And yes, it's different from you, but we have to appreciate it. I'm about to cry. Like, because it's so profound, you know, especially when you really love someone or you are able to have like those deep connections. We've been together for 12 years and it's like, we have like deep conversations and it's, you know, amazing. And it's just so many times that we're trying to figure out this thing and we're like letting each other grow. And there are times where we absolutely do exactly what you just said. And it's like, oh, wow, you have to kind of almost nurture that in a way in its inception. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm going to just kind of flip the script a little bit, and I want to dive into anxiety because there have been multiple moments in my life where I've just been extremely overcome by anxiety. And, you know, I just kind of want to start somewhere where I think a lot of people have this experience, but you can, you can answer and go wherever you want with it, which is me. It's, and I I say this on my podcast a lot. I think Dr. Google has created so much anxiety for me. Like, you know, if I have something new or different about my body, I'll be like, Oh, I have like a bump on my shoulder and it's like really hard. It feels different than a pimple. And then I like, well, what's a bump on your shoulder mean? And then like, instead of accepting like, oh, it's acne and like you need to whatever. I'm like, what if the bump is this color? And then it's like, and then it goes to this and then it ends up that, you know, I have cancer and it ends up that I'm going to be like be in the hospital tomorrow. And then like in three days, I'm going to die. Like it really, and my anxiety takes over all that to where it like ruins my day. And I'm just like, I go down this rabbit hole of nothingness. I can speak freely on that now because I'm not, st- I'm not stressed about it now. So let's dive into anxiety a little bit. And I'm just going to, I'm actually going to shut up because I just want you to help people who suffer with this. First of all, you know, the simple answer, of course, is that again, knowing that the healthy function of anxiety is to stimulate preparation behaviors. If somebody, you know, sees a bump or whatever, a little anxiety about it is actually helpful because that is what stimulates you to say, okay, wait a minute, I might really be enjoying, you know, this TV show I'm watching or whatever, but I must admit, you know, this this could be an issue. I, I, I better go do something about it, better call the doctor or check Dr. Google or whatever. But then when people go just kind of overboard, you know, with that kind of thing, um, sometimes there can be a, something underneath it, right? So for example, in your case, you know, since you shared some things that, you know, you had suffered through sexual abuse and that you moved out very young, I might say, okay, well, if you moved out when you were 14, maybe sometimes people, myself included, if we move out when we're very young, we have to almost at that age rule ourselves with an iron fist because we don't have mom and dad looking over our shoulder to say, hey, are you okay? Do you need to go to the doctor? And because those 14, 15 year olds, we don't even have a fully formed executive lobe in our brain yet. The executive lobe of the brain would be the part that remembers to call the doctor. Like even if you have a fleeting thought or remembers that you had a doctor's appointment or whatever. So if you don't have that structure and then you grow up having to almost set your own extreme fire alarms to make sure that you remember to take care of yourself, then you can almost develop like a cognitive habit of going way overboard on certain things because at one point in your life, that was actually a healthy habit to go overboard. It's just that now you're a fully grown adult with a normal executive lobe and you're still kind of overdoing it with some habits from the past. Um, one other thought about it could be like, as you mentioned again, with having sexual trauma, there can be an extreme desire. And again, even coming from a healthy place sometimes 
to show and prove to yourself that you can trust and believe that Shanti is going to take good care of his body, that he's going to make sure things are correct and right and managed properly, even to the point of going overboard sometimes. Those are questions to ask when the preparation behaviors that anxiety is supposed to stimulate are going a little overboard. Sometimes we ask, okay, well, what could be the reason for that? Is there some other, you know, healing or symbolism that this is ha that's happening here? At such a young age, it started when I was eight. I was sexually abused by someone who was, you know, the most masculine, strongest figure in my life, right? And so I think of like that overprotection of myself, which at the time I had to trick myself to enjoying it to protect myself. And so now, I feel like a lot of that anxiety, now that I really think about it, comes from like, well, I have to protect myself. I have to protect myself. I have to protect myself, which I absolutely love, you know, talking about that because I talk about in my book, you know, I say to people, it's not the thing, it's the thing. Like a lot of times if you're arguing with your spouse or if you're stressed about this or if you're stressed about a conversation with somebody, it might not be the thing that is the conversation itself. It could be stimulating from somewhere else. And I do, and both my husband and I, when we get into you know, disagreements, we always end up being like, oh my gosh, like this is totally something that I'm reacting this way because of an experience before. Yes. I mean, and so with, you know, you used the word hypochondriasis earlier, you know, when people have that, you know, again, it can trace as well to just a need to be in control, right? Over your body to just know that that you are in charge and you are monitoring and you are making things healthy. And again, that's why I think it's really important to know it's coming from a good place so that when we notice that part of ourselves becoming active, we don't like scold that part or shout it down. We more just kind of want to befriend that part of ourselves and say like, hey, you know, anxious self, you know, uh, what what's going on? You know, I hear you're nervous about this bump. I think we've taken care of it. Is there anything else, you know, going on? Does this experience remind me of anything else? That, that could be going on. So that way we pay attention to that part of ourselves. Um, it's kind of similar in my book, which is Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. When people like are trying to adopt a new technique in the book or try a new habit and they find themselves slipping, making a mistake on it, and a lot of them are kind of perfectionists. A lot of people with anxiety can sometimes be perfectionists. And so I encourage them that when they find themselves slipping in some way, instead of berating themselves, to actually congratulate themselves on awareness of the mistake. Because mm. awareness of the mistake is obviously so much better than non-awareness. And then their next question to themselves should be, how can I support myself better so that I don't have this mistake happen again? So we're not just saying, oh, let's do a bunch of happy talk. And if you make mistakes, tell yourself it's okay and it doesn't matter because that doesn't help people to grow. But neither does totally berating yourself either. So we want to befriend that part of ourselves and then see how we can move it forward. I want to touch on your fitness background, but really specifically the mental fitness, which is the term I like to use. I believe that when people are on a fitness journey, they 
sometimes don't really connect to those thoughts or they connect to those thoughts in a, in a negative way, which then transfers to them looking at themselves in a negative way, which then beats them down and not give them the mental power and fuel to be like, oh my gosh, like I'm doing so good. And then it becomes a self-sabotage and then it becomes, okay, I had one cheat day on my diet and then boom, 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 and everything crumbles. So <laughs> as a psychologist and like, you know, the educational approach of helping people through a journey with everything that I said, I've always tried to find a way through my words and as I'm giving people the moves in the workout or taking them through their their workout experience to find the words to continue to like push forward, like let's go even though you're stressed, but how do you get people to navigate that on their own when they're not in front of their personal trainer or when they're not with their yoga instructor that's going to, you know, help them hold them, hold up their body as they go through this. Yeah. So, I mean, what comes to mind, Sean, is the concept of automatic thoughts. And so, you know, since you have some experience in therapy, you might have heard of that before. Automatic thoughts are just the things that we tend to think automatically that we don't even, you know, ponder too much. So, you know, to your point, when people say fall off the wagon and just like eat crazy or, you know, don't work out for a week or whatever, and then they want to berate themselves, be really hard on themselves. Again, they're coming, believe it or not, from a good place. I think there's a part of them that is just afraid of becoming complacent and acting like this, these slips don't matter. And so it's their way of trying to hold themselves accountable and to demand better, you know, from themselves. However, their automatic thoughts might be doing that in a way that's not productive. So, you know, for example, like if say a person like eats a whole, you know, box of pancakes, like they're going to mix up a couple pancakes <laughs> for the kids and then they eat the whole box, you know, themselves. And then they're like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, such a fat pig. I have, you know, zero self-control. This is, you know, insane. And, and they're, they're, they're going off on themselves. And again, believe it or not, from a good place, because in their mind, the alternative is to just shrug their shoulders and say, so what, right? Which isn't helpful either. So they're, they're trying to guide themselves better. So what I think is helpful there, there's a technique from my book. The technique is called thought replacement. And so when you have certain automatic thoughts, like if you know that when, you know, you overdo it on the food that, you know, you start internally saying, here comes the piggy or whatever, you would want to override that thought with a, with a pre-crafted line that you know you're going to always substitute whenever that maladaptive, meaning unhealthy, automatic thought starts kicking in. So for example, you might override, you know, like I'm such a pig if that's like your kind of go-to thought that you always have when you mess up. You could learn to replace that with a thought like, what's my next meal? What's my next meal? That this wasn't where I wanted to be. That's true. What's my next meal? And you just start repeating that phrase to yourself, and that will help to point you in a more productive direction. And you had also said something there about, you know, like holding yourself up, so to speak, which I think is a very good way to think about it. Because another thing I say in the book is, 
one of the issues people will say with thought replacements is that they don't feel natural. They're like, well, okay, I try the thought replacements, but they don't feel natural. And my response is, that's okay. Of course, it doesn't feel natural. It would be like a person who's been slouching for 10 years, suddenly holding their shoulders back. It doesn't feel natural, but it is the right way. It's the healthier way. And if you do it enough, even when it feels unnatural, it will start to become your new habit. And you just have to work on doing it and repeating it, even almost especially if it doesn't feel natural, till the point where it becomes natural. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I believe while you are at your max exhaustion, I say, you know, if you can hold up your body, you can hold up your life because you have literally just proven to yourself through this experience of the last 29 minutes that you can keep going even in moments where you have to take those little breaks. And at the end, I want to be able to get people to finish with a positive thought so that the next day they can come back and be like, Oh my gosh, like even if 28 minutes of that workout was quote unquote trash for me, like I held up my body, I held up my life and I can move forward and push through, which takes me to the next thing that I want to dive into. And then I have like, I think it's going to be a really tough question for you, but I think you have an answer for it. But first, let me get to this one. When it comes to kind of connecting to yourself and and like we say, holding up your body or replacement, like replacing your thoughts, you hear a lot of times now like self-care, right? People are like, oh, self-care. And a lot of times people think like going to the spa or, you know, obviously getting a massage or, you know, taking a personal day, all of that is like really great self-care. What are some other ways that you can give yourself some self-care that will enhance the self-care, and I want to give you a little bit more color. So I told my team, um, everyone on my team, I'm like, once a quarter, I want you to take two days, like self-care days. But I don't necessarily want you to do it when you're super stressed. I, If you feel really happy, I want you to be like, oh my gosh, I feel great. I want to maximize this happiness by taking two days 
to push through. I know that was a lot, but I'm just looking for <laughs> your response to that. <laughs> no, I I love that. I love that. So, I mean, just going, I'm looking down because I had to write down some notes from, you know, you just- I'm doing that too. <laughs> I love that. You had so many thoughts there. So definitely I have to say as well, you know, about the workout and, you know, going through the pain and that it does make people stronger mentally. Um, in fact, neurologically with our brain and the nerves in our body, that a, a lot of studies show that we experience physical pain and mental pain through the same circuitry, right? So by learning to, you know, learn that I can go through a grueling workout, but I can withstand it, that will teach me. I can go through a painful breakup, but, you know, I can withstand it. But what we're also learning then there is something from yoga, a yoga teacher I had. And what he used to talk about was what he called the point of pleasant tension, which mm. is meaning like you want to be pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. You you want to feel the burn, so to speak, whether it be, you know, working out in yoga or, you know, growing and challenging yourself in your learning and your conversations. But you also do have to recognize okay, when am I just about to tear a muscle or when am I just <laughs> oversharing, you know, or whatever? Um, and, and so learning those lines, I, I think, is, is really wonderful. Now, getting to the second part of what you said about, you know, self-care um, and, and even doing it sometimes on positive days, um, I think that's so important. I actually really agree with it. There's a technique in my book, which is called to-do list with emotions. And that's because a lot of the people that I work with, and I'm guessing that you work with, they're high energy people that, that get things done. And then sometimes they can end up almost hitting a wall where they just suddenly are procrastinating or they're doing everything that they're supposed to be doing, but they just feel like a hamster on a wheel. They're not feeling emotionally connected. And so with the to-do list with emotions, we look at each item on your to-do list and then we think about what's the emotion that comes up with that. And then what is the self-care plan that I attach now to that emotion? And I always tell people this goes for positive things too. I love the idea that you're extending self-care to include maximizing the positive things 100% because I don't want people to think psychology is just about, quote, sickness and illness. It's also about maximizing our potential and our positivity. Okay. This is a really tough question. And I think it's just because I'm a low-key science geek when it comes to the solar system and when it comes to mental health. I just kind of love it. So I want to ask you this question simply because you were a yoga instructor that was like, yo, I literally need to figure out the psyche behind all of this. And I kind of feel like I know where that comes from. Was there any like blind study, any study, any story, anything you learned in a textbook that was so profound to you that you like one day went home and were like, Oh my gosh, like this is the coolest thing I've learned in my study. Do you have one or one of those moments? Yeah, definitely. Yes. So, I mean, for me it was it was really about learning about the healthy functions of, you know, some of these emotions that we used to sometimes think of as as bad or or negative or something to be avoided. So, for example, the healthy function of anger is actually to reset boundaries. I had grown up just thinking, oh, you know, 
nice girls don't get angry. Anger is not attractive. Or some people will say, well, anger doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't do anything. It's a wasted emotion or whatever. And so learning, oh, no, no, there's actually just, you know, even evolutionarily, biologically, there's a healthy function of anger, which is, you know, it's it's why we, you know, start even making a bit of a fist or, you know, we, we, we get very focused, our voice starts to raise up a little bit. And that's because we're getting ready to defend an important boundary. Similarly with anxiety, learning that the healthy function of anxiety is to stimulate preparation behaviors. So when I had my practice in New York, working on Park Avenue with all these, you know, very accomplished people, I was, you know, kind of surprised, not surprised to see that they were all coming in it was like 90% of them were saying that they had anxiety and they were they were anxious about the anxiety and like that kind of learning came back to me where i was like oh yes i see it's it's the healthy function it's partly what's helping them to actually be so successful and that's why they didn't want to they they had almost like a love hate relationship with their anxiety they wanted to get rid of the anxiety in a way cuz it was plaguing them but they also had some sense that it was part of their edge and part of their drive. And so that's why I was, you know, really wanting to teach them about how to do it in the healthy way. But yes, oh my goodness, Sean, there were like so many things I had of that as well. Being a yoga teacher, going into psychology school, they were starting to get really into mindfulness and psychology at that time. And of course, I knew about it as a yoga teacher. And so learning about it as metacognition, that mindfulness, as we discussed a few minutes ago, is really some people think it's about just being in the moment and that's okay. But when we go deeper with it, it's really about observing the self without judgment in that moment and learning about that and its relationship to what psychologists call metacognition, which is our awareness of our thoughts about our thoughts um, yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of mind blowing for me to start learning about it from different angles. Your profound moment of understanding that anger, and I love that you use anger because a lot of people are afraid of anger, can also have healthy, positive effects if you use it correctly is just wonderful. So thank you. But I do want to ask and make this answer as long as you want, because you've used the term trust and believe throughout the podcast, which I really appreciate. What is the definition of trust and believe to you? But I kind of want you to go deeper into how that trust and belief can really be beneficial to your mental health. Yeah, definitely. So, okay, I, I'm going to sound like a clinical psychologist here, but that's yes, because I am. I one. want that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when you say trust and belief, to me, the first thing that comes to mind is is self-efficacy. <laughs> so. Mm. Psychologists, that's the term self-efficacy, is your belief that you are able to do the things that you say that you are going to do, right? So when that trust and believe, I I think that has to really start within yourself. And, you know, Sean, I know you've been through times in your life, I personally as well, and there's that foundation that I have within myself of my own self-efficacy. And I think that's probably what makes me a good psychologist and makes you a good trainer is that I feel like when somebody's talking to somebody that they know, like this person can rely on himself or herself, then in psychology, we actually call it that the psychologist is, quote, lending the client his or her ego, ego strength, 
for that moment of the session. That's why, and I have this too, when I'm in session I'll, with my own therapist, I'll kind of feel like this higher level of self-efficacy than I might feel by myself. And when I'm with a good personal trainer, I feel like I can do things, you know, because that personal trainer is lending me their own trust and believability that they have built within themselves for that moment. I love that. It's like being able to share the trust and belief to help people through. That's wonderful. Dr. Chloe Carmichael, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Can you tell people how to get in touch with you? Do you have any programs? What is the best way for people to really kind of dive a little bit deeper into the things we spoke about today? Yeah, definitely. So my book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety, um, is available in audiobook as well as paper and ebook. And I love audiobook because I like to listen to those during massages or walks or whatever. <laughs> um, same thing for my other book, which is called Dr. Chloe's Ten Commandments of Dating. A long time ago, before I wrote about anxiety, I wrote a book about uh, dating. So that's another book. As for how to find me, the easiest way that we could say on a podcast is is anxietyishealthy.com. If you go to anxietyishealthy.com, it'll take you to my website. Okay. Thank you for that. We'll put some of those links in the show notes. I really want to see if you can come back and do a special relationship episode. I'd like love specifically. To. That would be like super fun. The other question I had is are you reading your audiobook? For the dating book, yes. Um, for the nervous energy book, the publisher chose because it was during the pandemic and they had sound oh. booth issues. But the the woman who read it, who narrated the anxiety book, I have to admit she did a great job. And in a weird way, it was almost more fun to listen to somebody else read it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because I love your voice. So I was just like, oh, man, but at least we get one with your voice. And then, you know, I think it'd be a great listen. I never listened to an audiobook during a massage. I have listened to podcasts during a massage. So I kind of want to listen to your book. That would be fun. <laughs> well, I'll send you a um, copy. <laughs> please do. Dr. Chloe Carmichael, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. The pleasure was mine.